to Acts chapter 5 as we continue that uh, it took great discipline for me when we were singing He is able to not do the motions and the extras. And I'm very proud of you for keeping it worshipful this morning here. But I love that song. Appreciate Pastor Mike and the wonderful work he's doing with our music ministry, all our musicians, all who serve here at Berean. Thank you. We looked last week at a, a thriving church and we looked at some of the hallmarks of a thriving church this week. We're going to look at the fact that a thriving church must be a resilient church. In our text this morning, we'll read a true account of an attack on the early church and the Holy Spirit-empowered resilience of the church. Another, and this is funny, I already had this in my notes, another song we often sing in Sunday school or children's churches, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. And one of the, one of the little uh, parts of that is won't let Satan it out, right? And you know what the resilient church is supposed to be like? We're supposed to be like the birthday candles that are those trick candles that you can't blow out. You ever been the victim of that trick where they put them on your cake and you try to blow them out and they keep coming back? And you know that's what Satan has tried to do all through the centuries. He has tried to snuff out the gospel light. But you know what? Jesus has built his church upon himself. And he is the one who's already sat down and overcome. And he will grant to us to overcome. And we can be and ought to be a thriving church for all of the resources of God's grace have been poured out upon his church and upon each individual believer that makes up this church, the body of Christ. And I'm talking, yes, about Berean Baptist Church, but beyond Berean Baptist Church, the universal church of all true born again believers, we need to be a resilient church. So what are the experiences of a resilient church? We'll look at these in our text this morning. If you join me as we begin in verse 17, we're going to go from verse 17 all the way through verse 32. But we're just going to begin in verse 17, read a few verses, and we'll continue through the rest of our, our text. We're just making our way to verse 32 this morning. The Bible says, Then the high priest rose up, and they all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. First experience you see of a resilient church is persecution. This church had already faced persecution. The Peter uh, and John remember when the Spirit of God led them to heal the man that was lame from birth. And there was a great ruckus, and uh, the, the Sanhedrin dragged them in and, and imprisoned them and then commanded them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They'd already faced some persecution. But now the Sadducees decide to persecute the church further. And the point that I want to make in, in the, the fact that the one of the experiences of a resilient church's persecution is that, folks, we should expect it. This was not a one-and-done proposition. The church, as we see throughout the book of Acts, and as you study through church history, you will find to this very day that most of the church is under persecution, has been under persecution, and thrived. Look, I want you to see several things about this persecution. First, that it was the Sadducees. It's in a parenthetical clause, but it's very important. 
Uh, I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the scripture, which means I believe that in the original languages, every word was purposefully put there by the apostles and the prophets, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, to give us exactly what God's revelation for us is, which is always, of course, we know eternal and unchanging truth. But the Sadducees were very well-to-do. They were not only financially well-off, but they were usually in positions of power. They were very liberal theologically. They, did, they were well-connected with Rome. They, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. We find that much also from the scriptures. The gospels reveal that a couple of different places. Uh, they were not going to give up their power and their influence. And they didn't want these apostles stirring up some sort of spiritual movement that might turn into some holy war and uh, fight against Rome. And they would lose their position and power and influence. They were, they were jealous. If you look back in our text with me, the Bible says that they rose up and they were with him and were filled with indignation. That word indignation is the Greek word zealos, where we get our English word zealous. It literally translates to be jealous. They were zealously jealous of the apostles because of the influence that the, of the apostles and the growth of the church. People were experiencing the miraculous power of God, which caused them to recognize these apostles are preaching to us God's message, and they were listening carefully to that message, and many were being saved. They were being born again. And the Sadducees, something I want you to note here is that they rounded up all of the apostles. The last time, it was just Peter and John. But this time, they go through the trouble of rounding up all of the apostles and imprisoning them. And I believe their thinking process was, if we discipline or deal with or persecute the leaders of the church, if we limit them, if we put them in prison or get rid of them, then the church will just, this whole movement will just kind of dissipate. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no prison or any other limitation that can hinder the spread of the gospel. Even Paul's own testimony in Philippians chapter 1, as he is writing from a Roman prison to the Philippian believers, says in verses 12 to 14 of Philippians chapter 1, But I would, I want that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Listen, being in prison has been a mission field. That's what Paul is saying. It's opened up opportunities for me to speak to people and give them the gospel. I never would have had that opportunity. And in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see the grace of God in my life that I'm continuing, Paul is saying, by the grace of God to have a valid gospel ministry in prison. And they are encouraged that God who is faithful to me as an apostle will be faithful to them. And God that is using me even in prison can use them even if they're in prison. They have nothing to fear. And so they're much more bold to proclaim the word of God without fear. So prison, limitations, being barred from Twitter or other social platforms because you share the gospel or share a Bible verse. Which may not be happening much yet, but I believe is coming down the road. Cannot hinder the spread of the gospel. You know, if God did this once, if he helped the apostles to get through this persecution once, he can do it again. 
what confidence this must give the apostles. Because you know what God does here? He sends an angel to spring them out of prison. Look at this. The Bible says in verse 19, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple all to the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Hey, listen, God freed us out of prison. We're going to be on trial. We might've been beheaded. You know what? God freed us. If he did it once, he can do it again. We don't have to fear being imprisoned because even in prison, we can preach the gospel. That was Paul's testimony. And the apostles, I believe, would have done that if they'd have been in prison long enough. But you know what? We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who can miraculously remove any limitations to the gospel we may be experiencing if that is his will for us at that particular time in that particular set of circumstances as it was in this time. And that gave the apostles a holy boldness to go right back and to stand in the temple. And that word stand is a very strong word. It was actually an idea, not only of physically standing while you proclaim, but see, understand in that culture, teachers didn't stand. They would sit. Only those that were royal emissaries would stand before crowds and proclaim the word of the king. These men are proclaiming the word of the king of kings and lord of lords. And they are to stand boldly and without shame. And they are to proclaim clearly the gospel message. And they do. But I want you to all understand that it is not always God's will to remove limitations or to deliver from death. Paul spread the gospel while in prison. Later on, we see that the Apostle Peter is delivered from prison. There's another instance where this happened. He's chained to the guards, and Peter, Peter's there. They're going to execute him. The angel of the Lord comes in and smites him on the side and says, Wake up, we're getting out of here. And he stands up, and the chains fall off, and the prison doors go open up, and he walks through down the streets. And, and then the angel of the Lord leaves, and he goes to the house. And there's Rhoda standing at, at the gate. She gets so excited when he knocks on the gate that she runs back and she tells everybody, And this prayer meeting that was being gathered together to pray for Peter's release. They're praying to God to do that. When Rhoda says, Peter's standing at the door. They say, thou art mad. 2023, you're crazy. (laughs) Find that interesting. We'll get to that passage later on. But it's not always God's will in deliverance. His timing is not ours. His will is not always what we anticipate I will not go through for sake of time. Do you realize that all of these apostles, except for John, were martyred? And do you realize they tried to kill John? And he survived that martyrdom attempt. There's a great cost in proclaiming the gospel. But that should not cause us to be timid or to fear. Because God, who sprang the apostles from jail... And told him, go back and preach again in the temple. He can remove limitations from us and give us freedom to serve him. Now we better obey and we better be faithful with those opportunities. Because the time may come when God's will is for us to be put in jail and to be martyred for his cause. But his will was accomplished as it always is and God was glorified. Not only do we see persecution, but we see persevering obedience Look at this. I love what, it's, what the Bible tells us in verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple when? Early in the morning. Man, they got right back at it, didn't they? Early in the morning. In the time of the morning sacrifice. People were going to be coming and worshiping. They got there early. They're probably at Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico. And they're getting ready. And the, the apostles obeyed the angel and went right back. First thing, preaching the gospel in the temple. 
Peter and John had already been through this before in Acts chapter 4, and they went back because they were keeping true to the Great Commission. Now look what happens to the Sadducees and to the Sanhedrin. The Bible says in the, in the middle of verse 21, but the high priest came and went, they that were with him and called the council together before it was just the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the Sadducees. But now they call the whole Sanhedrin. So that would have been Pharisees and Sadducees as well. And they're going to call the whole Sanhedrin. And the Bible says all the Senate of the children of Israel that have been all the leaders of all the tribes and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they found them not in the prison. They returned and told, saying, the prison truly we found shut with all safety. The doors were locked. And, and the keepers standing without before the doors. Anybody been this way? No, sir. Been awake all night? Yes, sir. Anything happened? No, sir. All right, they go in to get them. And they're gone. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men who we put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. <laughs> you know what? The Sanhedrin and the Sadducees were perplexed over this. When it says that they were wondering, at the end of the verse, it talks about how they, they, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They're like, what's going to happen now? I mean, wait a minute. Could this be of God? How did these guys do this? Do these guys have like ninjas who can sneak past our guards and sneak them out of prison? Is there, is there something demonic going on here? You know, they had all, they were, they were in doubt. What, what, what happens if we keep jailing these guys and they keep getting out and they keep preaching? What's going to happen to us? They were greatly perplexed. They're greatly worried and concerned about this. But I also want you to see they were politically correct. Say, how's that? Look with me in, in verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. They, they, didn't, they knew that the people said, hey, look, you know what? These apostles preached, and my mom was miraculously healed. She was going to die. My dad was healed. My grandma was healed. My child was healed uh, 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 of some terminal illness. These are men of God. Don't you dare lay a hand on them. And so the Sadducees, though they wanted to persecute the apostles, uh, they were politically correct. They were very careful in how they handled them because they knew uh, that this crowd that had been experiencing the power of God and been listening to the message of the preaching uh, could turn on them in a hurry. Not the Christians, but the unbelievers that still had seen the power of God. Say, hey, listen, don't mess with this. This is of God. This is a blessing to us as a nation and as a people. And so the Sadducees knew they had to be very careful, so they brought them without violence. That was not the normal way that they dealt with people. But you know what I see here that is so sad is that the Sadducees feared the people more than they feared God. Whereas the apostles feared God more than they feared men. One of the saddest passages in the New Testament, I believe, tells us of many of the chief rulers that they believed on Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess him. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Do you know how many people will suffer eternal death in the flames of hell? 
because they were afraid of people's reaction. They knew that they were sinners. They knew Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and shed his blood for their sins, that he personally loved them. He rose again from the dead. He is real. He's the Savior, the only way to have eternal life. They could have called on him and trusted him as their Savior, but they didn't want to lose the respect of their drinking buddies. They didn't want their family to ostracize them. They didn't want the people from their religious upbringing who preach a system of good works and religious activity and a social gospel to frown on them. They didn't want the intellectuals to think them stupid and simple. And so they made the most foolish choice. By fearing man, they brought condemnation to their souls. Jesus asks this searching question in Mark 8. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So we see persecution. We see the power of God in that God freed them through the angel. You know what I find ironic about that too? Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And yet it was an angel that God sent to free them out of prison. No wonder they were perplexed. Wait a minute. We don't believe in angels. We don't believe in all this supernatural stuff. You know, how in the world did this happen? Because they would not see with eyes of faith, they missed out on the most wonderful gift they could receive, the gift of eternal life. But there's also a proclamation of the truth. So we see the church, a thriving, resilient church, will experience persecution They will also experience the power of God. God can open doors that the enemy wants to shut. God can empower and enable and embolden you by his Holy Spirit and fill your heart with compassion to reach unbelievers with the gospel, to to stand strong and proclaim the truth, and to even graciously and lovingly stand against error and to side on Christ's side. But not only do we see persecution in the power of God and persevering obedience, but we see a proclamation of the truth. Look, if you would, with me towards the end of our passage here. In verse 26, Then went the captain with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them down before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The accusation of the high priest testified that the apostles' obedience in the Great Commission was effective. You've spread your doctrine through all Jerusalem. Man, that was what you call inadvertent encouragement. (laughs) We told you not to preach anymore in this name. And now you're filling all Jerusalem with your doctrine. Man, the word is spreading. Praise the Lord. The apostles were encouraged. The high priest wouldn't, don't you notice? The high priest wouldn't even say Jesus' name. He said, this man, he refused to acknowledge the Son of God. But here, the guilt of the high priest and the Sanhedrin in this accusation. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Doesn't that sound like a guilty conscience screaming? Was that the apostle's intention? 
That was not their intention. They were going about saying, hey, let's start this new religious movement and let's totally discredit the Pharisees and the Sadducees, build our own religion, but we got to wipe them out first in order to build our own religion. That was not their intent. But did not the Sanhedrin, along with a mob that all uh, of the Sanhedrin stirred up, say to Pilate, his blood be upon us? Didn't they call for his crucifixion? His blood be upon us and upon our children. Now all of a sudden they don't want that stigma anymore. And they accuse the apostles of saying, this is why you're doing this. Because they're guilty conscience. They knew that they had crucified the Lord of life, the Prince of glory. And then Peter, present, representing the apostles, clearly reiterates their obligation to, and commitment to obey God. Look in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. <coughs> Certainly we know, according to Romans chapter 13 and other places in the scripture, that we are to obey the government that is over us and every authority that is over us unless they require or obligate us to do something or to say something that is in direct contradiction with the clear commands and statements of Scripture. And that is exactly what is happening here. I love the way this Bible commentator put it. He said, The apostles' response to the council was not a defense, nor was it a plea for mercy. It was a simple explanation of action. In general, the New Testament teaches that we should submit to those in authority over us. Yet submission on the human level is never absolute and is never more important than submission to God. And then I want you to see that Peter takes advantage of the opportunity to preach the gospel. He's got the Sanhedrin and all the elders of Israel right in front of him. So he's going to preach the gospel. Look what he says. Then he says in verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Man's guilt, Jesus, whom you murdered in Jesus' death by hanging him on a tree on the cross. Him, God hath exalted to his right hand, speaking of Jesus' resurrection. And then of man's opportunity and ability to respond to this truth, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. They should have repented of trusting in their own righteousness and their own good works and in trying to keep the law and trying to impress each other with how spiritual they were. They should have turned from that to acknowledge before God that the law truly condemns them because they cannot keep the law. They've broken the law. They need a redeemer. And Jesus Messiah is that redeemer and fulfilled all the prophecy of Scripture speaking of the Messiah. And then Peter says, we're witnesses. We're eyewitnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim this which he has witnessed and we have witnessed And then he says this in verse 32. Whom God hath given to them that obey him. Who's that? Well, Christians are people who obediently put faith in Jesus Christ and then faithfully follow him. 
Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you obeyed the command of the Lord Jesus in Luke 13, 3? Repent. Have you responded to the command as given by the apostles in Acts 16, 31? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can do that today. If you are brother or sister in Christ, if you have done that, are you walking in obedience, filled with the Spirit, faithful to witness the gospel, living a life that is resilient? You say, what does it look like to be a resilient Christian? One that when he faces persecution can see the power of God, is persevering in obedience and proclaims the truth. Well, I was in a church several years ago, preaching evangelistic meetings. At the beginning of the service, before everything, I was down front, and I was talking with a couple of men. And they were just sharing with me their salvation testimony. And then the guy came walking in from the lobby in the very back of the church, and they pointed at him, and they said, you see that guy back there? Said, we both worked with him for 28 years, over 28 years. But during the first 28 years, when we worked the same place with this man, he lived a gospel life in front of us. We tried to push his buttons and get him to, to, to do wrong, you know, to have a wrong response. We tried to entice him to sin and invite him to things that we knew that no Christian should do. Uh, he, he would witness to us and we would mock him. And when he refused to join in us with our sin, we would tease him. We persecuted him inside out, upside down. We tried to trip him up in his testimony. But you know what? He kept praying for us. He kept living a godly life. He kept saying that when he had done something that he knew hurt his testimony, he'd come and apologize to us and ask our forgiveness. He kept witnessing to us the gospel, though we kept rejecting it for 28 years. And they both said, because of that man, we both know Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's resilience. Are you going to be a resilient Christian? Are you going to continue to let your little light for the gospel shine and be that trick candle that can't be blown out? And when you try to be a gospel witness among your extended family and relatives or at work or in your community, as biblical Christianity becomes less and less politically correct and more and more mocked and persecuted, will you be a resilient Christian that is part of a resilient church? We have been saved to bring God glory, to proclaim the gospel, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to grow in our faith, to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are to love with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Let's be a resilient church. Shall we pray? Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But if you are not actively fighting in spiritual warfare, why should Satan fight back? If you've never suffered persecution as a believer, I wonder why. I'm not saying that we ought to be obnoxious, belligerent, 
We should not. We should be gentle. We should show the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. But all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I wonder, do you see the power of God in your life? Is God at work in your marriage, in your family, in your community, in your own heart? If not, could it be that you become disconnected from the source? We know that we cannot lose our salvation. Jesus said, John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. But we can break fellowship with God by allowing known sin in our life, whether we're doing that which God forbids or we do not do that which God positively commands. Could it be that you're lacking power because you're not walking in the spirit? You've grieved or quenched the spirit of God in your life. You're not experiencing that power. Maybe some are becoming faint and weary. You don't want to keep persevering in obedience. May I encourage you, the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. In due season you'll reap if you faint not. Keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep looking to him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God will strengthen you by his grace. Keep serving him. Keep doing right. Keep pursuing intimate fellowship with Christ. Keep serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep going after errant brothers and sisters in Christ with loving confrontation and encouragement. Keep mentoring and discipling brothers and sisters in Christ. Invest in their lives so that they can grow in Christ and be equipped to serve him. Keep spreading the gospel with joyful resilience. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Our Father, this morning as we go into our time of meditation upon your word, as our pianist will be playing our hymn, May we truly commune with you in our hearts. May we not merely wait for a couple of verses of a hymn to be played and to go by so that we can get out of here and go get lunch. Lord, may we instead really truly stop and invite you through the Holy Spirit to examine our heart, our motives, our lives, to give us a clear evaluation of where we stand before you and how we are living for you. And may we respond to the ministry of the Holy Spirit So that as you use the apostles and as you use the believers in this early church, they were a thriving church and they were a resilient church. If we are going to to thrive, we must be resilient. We must have your power. We must keep persevering. We've got to keep proclaiming the gospel. And we're going to suffer persecution. And Lord, may we walk with you. And because we're walking with you, we can take it all in stride. Thank you for your faithfulness. Now move in our hearts as we begin this time of prayerful meditation and communion with you. We would ask that if there's anybody here this morning or watching by way of live stream that has not responded to the gospel, even as we've seen Peter preaching it from our text this morning, may they repent, may they put their faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, the one who died and rose again for them as their only hope of everlasting life. Our heads are bowed. Our pianist is playing our hymn of invitation. Would you commune with your Lord?